My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience's mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer, and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Good afternoon, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about caregiving as a parent. And with me, I have Leanne Blackburn and Nancy Farrell. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, Let's start off by having each of you introduce yourself. Where do you live? And anything else you want to tell us? How about one fun fact about you? Leanne, why don't you go first? Okay. My name is Leanne Blackburn. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I guess the fun fact about me is I love the outdoors and fishing and beaching and boating and anything to do with outdoors and water. Awesome. Totally agree. Nancy. Hi, I'm Nancy Farrow. I live in Arvada, Colorado. And a fun fact about me. Oh, golly. There's a long list. They're funny or fun. I would say, well, I love spending time with my grandson. He is the apple of my eye. Wonderful. Thank you both. Well, thank you both for for joining us. So what we're talking about today is what it was like for you um, as a parent caregiving for your adult child when they were diagnosed with cancer. So what we'll start with is kind of give me a little background on each of your children. So how old were they when they were diagnosed? What was their diagnosis? Um, What was their prognosis? Anything you remember about treatment? Those kind of things. Leanne? My daughter is Amanda. She, Amanda Blackburn, she was uh, 37 years old at the time of diagnosis. Actually, I had taken her for a uh, colonoscopy. And normally, you know, when the doctors do that, they don't come out and say, we found something and it's cancer. But this doctor did. She was so convinced immediately. Wow. So immediately I was through into panic, terrified. Uh, You know, it was just, you know, hit you that fast. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm taking her for a colonoscopy and 10 minutes later, they're calling me back there. Um, because they cannot complete it because the tumor was so large. Oh my. Um, so they could not even complete it. So from there, um, Dr. Sohi, which is a great doctor, sent us straight from there to another hospital for a CT scan. So, you know, you just was bombarded just all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. and so we, a lot, a lot of this different mixed emotions because it just slapped you right in the face all of a sudden. And um, so we kind of went from there. Yeah. I'm curious, was she experienced symptoms or was she, was this just kind of a, a checkup for her? 
actually, she did have some symptoms and she had some diarrhea and stuff. Mm -hmm. And some of the doctors were treating her for um, uh, colitis, Mm -hmm. which wasn't helping. And Mm -hmm. she happened just to have her regular appointment with her gynecologist. And she told the gynecologist, you know, this issue she was having. She's like, you know, I know you're young, but why don't we schedule for a colonoscopy? And so and with then, that towel, that that happened. And then the rest. Yeah. And how long was her treatment? Was it about a year? About a year. Yeah. About a year. I mean, we went through. She just kind of went through bam, bam, bam. She started off with some um, chemo mm-hmm. and radiation. She had 28 radiation treatments. And uh, then we had went through surgery mm-hmm. and she had to have an ileostomy. And then. um went back through and did more chemo after the surgery. And then we waited about, actually, I think it was around nine months. She kept the ileostomy and then uh, she went back and had that reversed. Wow. That sounds like quite a year or so. uh, Definitely. Yeah. I have to say the doctors here were just on it. I mean, you know, she, within a week's time, she was starting chemo after the first diagnosis. So, I mean, it was fast. Yeah. Well, uh, of course, that's what we want to see. Exactly. Right. Nancy, how about you? What was your, your son's story? So I have three children and Michael is uh, our oldest. And actually when he was in sixth grade, he, um, We went to the pediatrician for a normal checkup and here's this 12 year old. And all of a sudden one of his testicles had ascended. It had gone back up. And at the time they said to us, you need to keep an eye on this because that can be an early sign of testicular cancer. Hmm. So fast forward about 11 years, uh, Michael was 23 years old, just graduated from college or trying to graduate from college. Um, uh, in February of that 2007, he was actually diagnosed with a benign brain tumor, wasn't cancer, but that was bad enough. And we got through the hoops of that. And then he graduated from college and in August, he said, I've got this lump and I think I should go in and get it checked out. We're like right away. Well, then he said, no, I think it was just a cyst. It's, it's gone. And then about three weeks passed, he had uh, started a brand new job in Denver and called and said, mom, it's, it's not going away. So luckily for Michael, because of his experience with a brain tumor, uh, University of Colorado, he was in their system and they quickly got him into a urologist And we sat there one day on August 29th at 8.15 in the morning, the things mothers remember. And he was in for an ultrasound, which is the first step of checking uh, for testicular cancer. And he walked out of there and looked at me and said, I have cancer. And I was like, wait a minute, we're supposed to find that out in a half an hour at the doctor's appointment because the ultrasound person is not supposed to tell you that. And they're not, but they did. And Michael just looked at me and said, I have cancer and we're not going to cry about it. And I sucked up everything inside of me because that's what he needed me to do. And then 
Wow. We moved on to surgery where they removed the testicle. They wanted to do it that day. He's like, he needed to process. And uh, so two days later, and we, we lived in California at the time. And my husband flew in, my daughter flew in, Colin, his brother already lived here. And we were all there and they're like, well, we think we, you know, got it early. And, and one thing I've learned in cancer, you don't know until you know what it mm-hmm. actually is. So it was early stage, but it was aggressive. Yeah. And uh, that was the first surgery. Then he had a choice and ended up going to Indianapolis where uh, the guru of testicular cancer is. And uh, for a second opinion, and he ended up having something Oh, golly, I never get it right. They take all the lymph nodes out of his belly, basically, because mm-hmm. in testicular cancer, they know it'll either go to your brain or it'll go to your lungs. Mm-hmm. So he elected not to have chemo because he wanted to have kids and he was afraid of what that mm-hmm. impact might have. So he had this surgery, which was pretty tough. And yeah. then went back to work. And third day back on the job in Denver and slipped on the ice and broke his ankle in three places. So 2007 sucked. One year. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're, we've moved on from there, kind yeah. of. <laughs> well, what's interesting, so Michael was 23, right? And right. Amanda was 37. So they're both adults. Um, but just circumstances, you both happen to be there right when they received their diagnosis. So kind of two different questions here. What were your initial thoughts? Um, Leanne, you started sharing that a little bit. And then also, how did you support your child in that moment? Because you were there at ground zero, so to speak, when they found out. Either of you, go ahead. Well, for me, um, Amanda did way better than I did. (laughs) So I think at at that point, Amanda supported me Ah, um, because I broke down. I had to take, I had to walk outside. And yeah. so I walked outside to call my husband immediately mm-hmm. and to tell him. And Amanda was, was great. So at that moment, mm-hmm. at that moment in that time, she supported me than mm-hmm. I, more than I supported her at that moment. Yeah. Wow. Nancy. Yeah. Again, Michael walked out and said, I have cancer. And I quickly, my husband, Mark, was down in Texas at work. He knew we were going in for the appointment. I called him. He walked out of the meeting right away and came, you know, and got up to uh, Denver as fast as he can. I called Colin, who wasn't at the appointment with us, but I just knew from our experience with going through the brain tumor that Michael's probably not going to hear anything. I'm maybe going to hear a little bit. So it's like, get Colin out here mm-hmm. and uh, and into the appointment pretty quick. And Colin comes in and he knows what his brother needs. His brother needs laughter, mm-hmm. even when you're told you have cancer. Right. So of course, Colin comes in and the doctors are all like, well, you're handling this well, because Colin's trying to make him laugh. Right. I am in shell shock, but I knew Michael didn't need me to cry. That's what he needed from me. I mean, to openly yeah. say that, what else am I going to do? And uh, so I did suck it up, which took, I can totally read, you know, Leanne, because it took everything inside of me mm-hmm. not to start bawling mm-hmm. and, and crying. But yeah. 
And after that initial time, so uh, Leanne, you mentioned that Amanda was supporting you really that day, but as it went on, I mean, this is a year and, right. you know, it, how did that change? Did you, was there, were there ways where you supported her or started to and how so? Oh yeah, most definitely. After I got that, that uh, I'm going to say half an hour out of my system outside <laughs> by myself, then definitely the support system. I, I kicked in and thought, okay, my first reaction was I want something done now fast. Right. I just kept, you know, thinking this all has to be done fast. And so we pushed, 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 pushed. And then my, my son or brother, um, he has some connections to the hospital and stuff. So he mm. called his, his buddy who set all this up for her. That's why it happened so fast. Oh, wow. Um, he called his buddy, got her into an oncologist immediately. Uh, we went and seen him. And so everything happened really, really fast from that point, which I was so pleased about because I was just panicking that we, we can't wait. We can't wait yeah. for nothing. We got to do this fast. And so it did. It yeah. happened really fast. So therefore, at that point, it was like, OK, it was all about business. We've got to get this done. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be fine. And we yeah. just went straight through there for that. So yeah. um, the hardest part other than finding out that day was being at the appointment when they very first put the chemo into her. Mm. Um, that that was really hard. But I had, like you said, suck it up that day because one thing I learned from this whole thing is the strength that Amanda has. Hmm. And so I really fed off of her strength because without the strength that she had, I probably would have fell apart Yeah, constantly. So I'm like, well, I can't sit around and be crying in front of her, you know? So I'd have my times and I'd go off by myself Mm -hmm. and I'd have my cry. And then I'm like, okay, time to pick it up. We got to move on. And so that's what we did. Yeah. And it sounds like you supported her by taking to her to appointments, uh, going oh, with yeah. her to chemo. Um, I went with her to all of her chemo. Yeah. I was there with her through all of that. Her um, radiation, I went with her a couple. But at that point, the chemo at the beginning wasn't real strong. Mm-hmm. So she was still working. Oh, and wow. so she was taking herself to radiation. Mm-hmm. And she did really good with that. So I kind of came in over here on the home front at her home, brought my little dog, me and my husband brought our little bag and moved in over here and took care of the house, took care of the kids and keeping everybody fed and taking kids to where they needed to be and to and from and just whatever needed to be done that, you know, she could manage to do. But I didn't didn't jump in there and try to do everything for her because mm-hmm. Amanda is used to being on her own. And I didn't want to jump in where, where it would be make her upset. I didn't want her right. upset for any reason, whatever it was. So I just kind of laid back and I'd say, whatever it is you need, just, just tell me. And I can do whatever it is you need. I don't want to step on your feet. A little funny fact about Amanda. She has an area in her kitchen and that is called her space, her square. It's a little square that that's where she does all her stuff and nobody is allowed in her square. <laughs> so uh, 
I told her, I said, well, you're going to have to get the square up. It has yeah. to become my square and you will sit on the other side of the counter. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so uh, she graciously did and everything went good. I, I had to pull the mom card a few times on her. How and, so? Um, she, uh, well, right after she started the chemo, the doctor, you know, said there is no sense in laying around the house being so sick that you can't hold your head up. Well, she came home for two days. I couldn't get her out of bed. Mm. I couldn't get her to eat. I couldn't get her to drink. And I'm like, you know, she's got to get up and she's got to drink, at least drink something. So finally, I thought I'm calling the doctor. So I called the doctor he said, no, 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 she should not be like that. Won't you bring her in? And I said, okay. So I come up to get her and tell her to get dressed. And she just kind of went off on me. How <laughs> dare you call my doctor? Who do you think you are? And, you know, and I was trying not to keep, I didn't want to say anything mean to get her upset. Finally, I'm just look like, I'm like, get up, get your clothes on. I am pulling the mom card shut your mouth. We're going. So yep. that's that. So then, uh, took her, they gave her an IV, which hydrated her mm -hmm. and you could just like watch the color come back into her face. I mean, she was so pale when we took her, I could sit there and see her feeling better. Yeah. And so then after that, she, she was like, yeah, well, you know, I, I'm sorry. And I'm like, you know what? There's no sorry in this. We're just, we're, we just do what we got to do yep. and move on. There's no yeah. sorry. So. Interesting. Yeah. So it sounded like the support obviously changed kind of as needed on an as needed basis. Um, right. Right. I just didn't want to step on anybody's feet, but I right. wanted to be, I was always here somewhere close by because I, I don't even live far away, oh, but yeah. I wanted to give her her, you know, she likes her, her long time. So I wanted to get, you know, let her have yeah. her a long time. But then also I was home fretting. Wondering, right. is she okay there by herself? You know, right. I need to be there. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. it worked out. It worked out. I think she got what she needed. And um, for her time, for herself, to think things through, she needed yeah. that time. And um, and I was there for whatever it is she needed. That's so. awesome. Nancy, how about you? How did What did the support look like after that initial day? After that, uh, again, we... <laughs> My husband and I, we were living in California. So um, one of the things people thought was we would, of course, bring him back to California. And we had quickly realized that his doctor in Colorado was trained by the best in Indiana and kind of looking at Michael's life and thinking we wanted his life to stay as normal as possible. Mm -hmm. We could adapt. But that also meant we were leaving our daughter, who was a senior in high school, back home wow. and not on her own. She was staying with family friends and, you know, a couple family members could come in for a day, but we knew it was not going to be something we were gone for a couple of, you know, a couple of days because these surgeries were not easy. And I would say that we just quickly, my husband, everybody was there for that first surgery. We were in the waiting room. We actually, this always pissed Michael off because when Dr. Moroni walked out, he actually, in one of the little specimen jars, had Michael's testicle. And um, so <laughs> one of Michael's dear friends from college was there with us as well. 
and he and Carrie and Colin all went over. Is that it? Is that it? Can we see it? And it was Michael was never happy that they got to see it. And he didn't. Anyway, laughter is a huge part of, I think, mm-hmm. what gets us through. But it was tough because I also have a daughter back home and needing to take care of Michael with surgery. But his brother is there and Colin still is in college and school had just started up for the semester for him. So we kind of moved in kind of like Leanne. It was like moved right in because the surgery was, you know, he was home the same day with the first surgery. Mm. So we were there, but trying to give him his face space. Um, but he was 23, you know, and, yeah. and all the things testicular cancer also brings a lot of, I mean, cancer in general can bring up for a young person fertility. Mm-hmm. Testicular cancer really brings yeah. up, you know, I'm not really thinking about getting married or having a family, but now I got to think about it and kind of helping navigate that Mm -hmm. conversation and ask it um, on behalf of Michael, um, getting the doctor's appointments done and whatnot, just trying to get them out. And it was tough. I mean, it's, I think when you're going through it, it's like you do what you got to do and here's this step. Um, And in the back of your mind, when you let your mind quiet down a little bit, it kind of turns. So my husband and I were kind of, I was there for a couple of weeks and then we put it on his brother. We're like, okay, you're on here. He's 21 years old. So I was in and out trying to go see my daughter for her senior high school experiences, but yet take care of Michael. It was kind of an impossible situation because really not making everybody happy, but trying to do our best. Yeah. Well, doing what you can do, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we don't have a lot of extended family. We don't. I mean, nobody was jumping up to say, we'll come help do this or that. Mm-hmm. So we just did our best. Yeah. I'm wondering if in both cases, if, if either of their diagnoses changed the dynamic in your relationship. I mean, uh, Leanne, you mentioned having to pull the mom card. I'm wondering if there are other ways where it changed the dynamic in whatever way? Um, I'm going to say, I'm sure it has made us a lot closer. I mean, we are a pretty close knit family anyway. My side of the family is very, very small. Um, there's not many left of us. Paul, my husband, her father, his family's a lot larger, but they're kind of spread out and stuff and we're not as close with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amanda and I had a really good close re- relationship to begin with. Okay. And I always knew Amanda was a strong girl. You know, I, she always has been mm-hmm. strong willed since she was little. So far as closeness, I guess we're, we're more, we're more close. I think she, I think now she tolerates me a little bit more, <laughs> you know, I don't think, uh, I think sometimes, you know, before she would get a little angrier with me easier about mm-hmm. just whatever, you know, nothing major. But I think uh, I think she seems to tolerate me more mm. a little bit, maybe. Um, I really don't think that I could be any closer to her. Mm. I think I, I'm 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 just as close as can be. We tell each other everything. She knows all about, you know, some some things you think that a mother and daughter wouldn't talk about about their life, but we talk about it all. So she yeah. knows all my intimate <laughs> details and I know hers. And, um, so I don't think that, um, 
we could be any closer than we are. And but so it, it has brought us some closer. Yeah. So if it changed it at all, it was for the better. It sounds like. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because, no. uh, okay. you know, right now she has to really tolerate because now I'm living with her right now. <laughs> so that was training. It was training. So that was training. So maybe she and she's given up her square this time, too. Wow. <laughs> awesome. So, awesome. yeah. Nancy, so. how about you? You know, I would say, I mean, we were pretty close beforehand. I kind of talked. I mean, we don't have a big family on either side, Mark's or mine. And so I've always been kind of like, hey, you guys, it's the five of us. It's the five of us. Mm -hmm. And um, when Michael went through this, I I remember a couple times this happening, but specific, we were driving out to the hospital for a follow-up appointment. And for us, it was usually pretty quiet in the car. Because all those things that go through your head, because of course, the first thing I thought when they said my son had cancer is like, is he going to live? Right. Now we're going out to these follow-up appointments, which are so stressful. It's 14 years later and he still has them, but we were quiet. And I finally said to Michael, I said, Michael, you know, you can say whatever you want to, to me. And he said, no, I can't. And we're, we're very close, but I'm talking specifically about his cancer. He goes, I can't, I don't want to scare you. And I looked at him and I said, trust me, I probably think 20 times worse. And I too don't want to say that to him yeah. because that fear of losing your child yeah. is, I mean, it was just, I couldn't believe it was happening to us. You know, it's cancer is just like this crazy thing of no. You know, you think about yeah. what your kids are going to do, whatever they're going to do. They're going to be a fireman, a <laughs> doctor, uh, whatever. They're going to work at a national park and what the possibilities are. And, and looking at a 23-year-old thinking, holy cow, what, you know, mm-hmm. his life is turned upside down. And those dreams parents have for their kids, this this was not in there. So yeah, I would say. But I would say Michael and I had always been close. We'd fought a lot, too, when he was in high school. He could be a little stinker. So he'll remember that when uh, when he listens to this. But every kid can. But um, I would say through the, you know, his cancer, I mean, there is a closeness that comes about. I think it's Mm -hmm. a realization that, you know, we're talking life and death sometimes. Luckily Mm -hmm. for Michael, it's not. I mean, the. The thought of cancer, could it return? Sure. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, that is always there. And that's something you live with for the rest of your life. But it's not consuming. But I think our relationship as a family, you know, and Michael and I got closer. A lot of interesting things that probably a young man doesn't think he's going to talk to his mom about. I would imagine. (laughs) I'm one of those mothers that it's like, well, I'm going to push that subject because it needed to be talked about. Yeah. When you think about kind of the journey that you went on as caregivers for both of you, how would you describe what it feels like? What were the biggest challenges, joys, like fears, you know, talking to people out there who may newly be faced with the same situation. What did it feel like for you to be in that place? Um, I guess for me, it's, uh, you know, your mom part just kicks in, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just doing what a mom does. And, you know, 
at first I thought a caregiver. Am I really a caregiver or am I just a mom hmm. that's taking care of her child? Interesting. And I know I am a caregiver. I did, you know, did do all that and stuff, but I'm like, this is just what I do. This is mm -hmm. my child. This is, I'm a mom and this is what I do. I couldn't see it any other way. I, I wouldn't want anybody else in there taking care of her. That would never happen mm -hmm. because nobody would do it like your mom does. And the joys and stuff through the whole thing, I guess. Uh, we had some really funny moments with the ileostomy. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, we had, we had, and again, Amanda through this was just unreal. And if she couldn't laugh about it, I mean, I'm sure it would have been a lot worse, but mm -hmm. she made things so much easier for me as a mother or a mm. caregiver um, because of her attitude. Mm. Um, uh, attitude has everything to do with it, mm -hmm. everything to do with it. And her attitude was so positive. She made it easy for me. You know, I had my dark moments where I always thought the very worst and what's going to happen and how has this happened to us. But every time I went there, I just told myself, just get out of that. I'm not, I'm not going to pay attention to those dark moments. I don't want to think those things. So I would just, every time my mind would go there, I'd, I'd say, no, we're not going there today. Hmm. We're going to have a great day. We're going to do this and that. And then having her girls around too made things always interesting and always busy. And at, at one point at first, when it all happens, you kind of feel like you're like a robot. You hmm. kind of feel like you don't have any feelings. It's just like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. This has to be done. This has to be done. And then you get kind of picky. This has to be done this way. You know, I don't want mm -hmm. her to have to worry. You know, I just didn't want her mind to have to worry about anything. Yeah. It was just taken care of. And her mind was to worry about getting better yeah. and doing what she needed to do. And so I think you kind of run on like a robot for a while. And yeah. then after a little while, um, we also had a friend of hers got a food train going. I don't know if either of you know what the, that is, yeah. but that was, that was really, really nice. Um, a lot of her friends um, from school, her girls, um, uh, friends from school, their moms got together and they would bring things over for dinner and stuff. And they'd always make enough for all of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of got funny. My husband always like, oh, what are we having to eat tonight? <laughs> and uh, so um, that went on for several weeks, not every night, but a lot of the nights. So, so yeah. that was a, that was a, the community jumping in there That's and also awesome. helping. Um, so that that was a big, big help. But far as the caregiver, like, I guess you can put that in. I was yeah. a caregiver, but I just kind of think I'm a mom. Yeah. And I'm taking care of my baby. You know, you know, it's interesting because Amanda's a mom. Right. So at the right. same time she's going through this, she has her daughters. Yes. And that must have been an interesting balance for her to let go, maybe a little and let you do some of the mothering for her kids. Did, did that happen? Um, it did. There was a few things. Um, like I said, I watched the girls from the time they were born anyway. So I had okay. them a lot anyway. And, but there were a few instances like Olivia's birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, Olivia wanted to have some girls over to spend the night and she wanted them to, to all do cake decorating and everything. Well, Amanda didn't feel like all that, you know? Right. So 
Amanda stayed upstairs in bed and I hosted the party and I got it already. And I'm sure that that bothered her because she didn't feel like. So there were instances where I did jumped in and did for her what she always did. But I think as a whole, I think it went pretty well. I mean, but yeah, Yeah. there were instances, you know, certain little things like that, that she wished she could have been there and did the mother thing where I jumped in. But, um, but in another sense, I know she was very grateful. Exactly. Because her girl still got got the birthday party or whatever. Exactly. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, it was kind of probably a double-edged sword for her, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Nancy, what did it feel like for you in terms of being a caregiver and joys and challenges and things like that? I remember I just wanted to help Michael, like, I don't know, feel normal, right? After his first surgery, it was 2007. You'll love this, Gail, because Colorado Rockies were in the playoffs that year. (laughs) So we're home. Michael's recuperating and watching games and whatnot. It's like, hey, let's try and go to a game. You know, do you think you'd be up for it? And not too comfortable after that first surgery. And all of a sudden, you know, we got down to the game. He made it two innings and he goes, I got to go. And I bought club. I mean, I was going to do whatever. And I know for us, again, we weren't home right? We didn't have any friends that were around it. Now, our boys' friends from college, it was amazing to see them hop to. And some of them were bringing over meals and they're like, what can we do to help? Because for me, I I did not want to leave Michael's side. Yeah, I needed to be right there with him. So we live in Sacramento, but he's in Denver. And the hard part And I'd gotten to this point already because when we got that phone call, when he had a brain tumor, then all of a sudden I get the phone call, he's got cancer. So I still 14 years later have PTSD when the phone rings. If it is my kids, it's the first thing I want to say is, are you okay? Mm -hmm. You know, for any of them. And so I know that's something I have to Mm -hmm. try and work on. It's like, you okay? But you know, so it's, it was, and just that feeling. So when I'd go back to Sacramento, cause I had to go back for Carrie, she had milestones too, as a senior in college, yeah. Colin was there and could help with Michael. But when I was not with Michael, you know, it was all consuming hmm. to not worry about him, to not think, is he okay? And I knew yeah. Colin was going to take care of him. And I didn't leave until I felt, you know, after that first surgery is okay. But Every time the phone would ring, like I said, yeah, it was like, oh my goodness. So it's like, I needed to be with him. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't even have family that mm. are there through a cancer diagnosis too. So, uh, you know, I want to acknowledge that, you know, I, I can only imagine those people that have done it, you know, some people by themselves. Yeah. But for me, it was just tough to be away from them. And that lasted a long time. Yeah. And I remember looking at my husband one day, this is probably two years afterwards. And I looked at Mark and I said, do you just think about it every day? And he's like, not every day. And it was like, mm, I was still two years, yeah. four years, eight years today. I hope it doesn't come back. Is he okay? Yeah. It's a psychological impact. Watching that on mm-hmm. Michael was tough because both of his things are kind of hormone related and we don't really talk about that for men. And that was a tough thing to witness when he went to a pretty 
dark depression about seven months after he had gone through everything. Yeah. So that caregiver, yeah, selfishly, I just wanted to be with him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be in his pocket. So I knew <laughs> what he was doing, but that's not the way it's supposed to work. But yeah. That was a tough thing. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering what supports did you both receive as caregivers and what second part of that would be, what supports do you wish you would have received? Whether from the hospital or whatever form. Well, I have to say the, um, Amanda's oncologist, doctor, uh, he was great. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was a good support system. I mean, when you went in, I mean, he took his time and talked with you and all that kind of stuff. Um, As far as needing other support systems, um, I don't know that I'm sure there's a bunch out there talking about my side of it. Mm -hmm. There was classes I could have went to about being a caregiver and all that. I chose not to go to those classes. Um, Now, Amanda, um, she... um, went through the program. She got in a program at the YMCA Mm. and it was a program where we went three times a week and we, uh, it was three times a week for three months and you could bring your caregiver with you. So her and I did the Y and we did like one day was Pilates and then one day was cycling and then one day was weights and all that stuff. And so we did that program together. And actually I think that is where, Amanda learned about the Epic experience really? is from the instructor there. So it was called is after treatments called live strong through mm-hmm. the YMCA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a support system for her and I, and yeah. I, both. Um, I, I guess I'm just like the t- type of person. I, I didn't want to let a whole lot of people in. Mm-hmm. This was us. Not that I'm a private person about, all my stuff, because I'm not really private. I'll tell you anything I know, but I just felt like nobody can do it. Like I'm going to do it. And I don't need anybody else to try to tell me what to do because I'm her mother and I know what I'm doing and I'm going to take care of her best. So I didn't seek out other stuff. I know there's all kinds of programs out there, but I just didn't seek any of that out. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt like this this is my thing and and I'm going to take care of it and we're going to get through this together. Now, as far as Amanda, um, at the end of the Y program, they had a Christmas party and they all went around the room and talked about um, the type of cancer they had and how they found out about the Y program. And then um, the caregivers were there as well. And so when it got to my part, um, I understand that being the one that has the cancer, you feel like you do have to talk about it. You do need to be around other people that have cancer or have had cancer and recovery. And I see where they feel that need Mm -hmm. and I understand it. But for me, I just wanted it to all go away and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want to hear about these poor, poor folks that she knew that passed away. It was mm-hmm. just so sad. And I just wanted it to all go away. I didn't have that need to have to talk about it, yeah. but I understand where they need that. 
So, I mean, we, we came to a thing on, you know, on that, but I, I just wanted it to go away. I just didn't yeah. want to have to think about it. I wanted to all go away. And, uh, yeah, so I understand. But, yeah. So, but there was a lot of different things out there. Um, uh, and the, the doctors always did a good job at, at showing you what all these different things where you, you could get involved in if you chose to. Amanda did do a few things and stuff. And there was a few things I did uh, with her. Uh, it was like this wellness massage that we went to. Mm. Um, you know, that was nice. But as far as the, the mental part of it, um, you know, all the different classes that they had that you could go talk to. Um, I think I chose not to because I, I just wanted it to go away and I didn't yeah. want to keep talking about it. Yeah. So I just kind of kept it within our family. So when I felt the need to talk about it, my husband and I, we did that, you know, right. and I even really didn't talk about it a whole lot with Amanda. You know, hmm. it was always like, um, try to be upbeat. I wanted everything to be upbeat all the time and everybody's happy and we're just, we're just living life and everything's, you know, good. Yeah. So, but I think that's me. Well, but it's nice to know that there are so many options out there. If someone's in your situation, I mean, that's really neat that you guys did the why thing together and the massage. I think that's awesome. But to know that they're even available, that's really cool. Um, Yeah. Like I said, the doctor's office had a whole floor upstairs and a whole sheet of, you know, all kinds of options you could, you could use and go to and all free of charge. Yeah. And uh, that's neat. Yeah. And Nancy, did you find the same thing for as a caregiver and also for? So I will be the total opposite. <laughs> but it's but again, it's different. I mean, we were not in Sacramento right. where our friends are. We were in Denver where all we had was Michael, Mark, Colin, and I, mm-hmm. and their college friends. Then when Michael went for his second surgery, now we're in Indianapolis. Now it is only Mark, Michael, and I, and we had wonderful care. I mean, the medical professionals that choose oncology are truly angels, mm-hmm. and that was amazing, but it was just the three of us. Yeah. So it was, um, I would have loved. So at one point when we got back to Sacramento and Michael about six months after his cancer diagnosis decided he was going to move back to Sacramento. This is when he got pretty depressed. Hmm. And so he quit his job in Denver, moved home, um, wasn't pretty because he was pretty, it was pretty deep, dark depression. And I remember going out to lunch with two of my friends because I didn't have anybody really to talk to. I mean, people would kind of ask, but it was like a text or an email or something like that. And, and I said to them, because then Michael ended up when he was back in Sacramento, this is about 18 months after his cancer diagnosis, they went in to remove his brain tumor down at Stanford University to have surgery. And that was, again, a bad thing to witness. And he was having a tough time waking up. So all those fears bubbling in of, you know, this isn't cancer, but what's going to happen now? Mm And I remember going to lunch then after that was over with two friends and I looked at him and I go, cause now we were back in Sacramento and he has his surgery. I'm like, Oh, good. You know, somebody will be there that'll be checking on us. And I said, you guys never checked on us. And they're mm-hmm. like, Oh, we just figured you were strong enough. 
And I looked at him and I said, we'll never assume that about anybody ever again. So it mm-hmm. was, it would have been nice to feel, you know, and I wasn't mad at him. I, I mean, that was, I understood, but we also, I made Michael and uh, Carrie one time, we went to a support group at a local hospital in Sacramento mm-hmm. and Michael went to the one for the survivors and Carrie, who is, you know, 18 years old and I go into the one for the caregiver. And I told that woman and everybody I meet afterwards, they really need to vet who comes into these support groups because there was a crazy woman in there who was there for her cousin who had cancer, but she hadn't talked to her cousin in 10 years. And, you know, it's all these family. And it was so we were one and done with the support group thing. I mean, that was just a disaster. And Michael just he went into his and everybody just felt sorry for him because he was 23. And yeah. in that group, everybody was 60s, Older, 70s, 80s. Right. So they were just giving him what he didn't need in the, whoa, that's so sad, you know. Yeah. And I don't think that's what somebody wants to hear. You just want to be able to kind of tell your story and and uh, not have people feeling sorry for you because it right. just becomes part of somebody's story, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's, it's not all a bad story, as we say. I mean, right. it's a tough road, but there is a lot of good things that can come out of. And that always sounds weird to somebody who's never gone through cancer. But it is true, though. It, it is, is true. You've both shown that definitely. But finding that support was was tough. I, I didn't yeah. look further than that. I wish I had. Hmm. You know, I would talk to my husband, but we're different. I was just talking to another friend who's... Uh, actually daughter passed away and she was sharing how she and her husband grieve. They grieve so differently. Hmm. And I think the same can be said for a Mm -hmm. cancer diagnosis in a family. Everybody's got their dynamic. Our daughter really didn't, Carrie didn't really come out and say her thoughts of how she felt for three years. And she, she felt abandoned because we weren't there, but she understood why. But yeah. even still, that's how she felt. Yeah. So, and that impact as a mom to think I'm helping one kid, but I'm hurting another. Mm. Ugh. Yeah. You know, Definitely. and then the middle child Collins there and the, all through the middle of it, just <laughs> yeah. doing what he needed to do to keep his brother in good spirits and trying to keep him going. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. I have one more question for you as we wrap up here. I'm wondering if there's one thing you wish someone would have told you, you know, thinking about parents out there who might be newly entering into this situation where a child, an adult child has been diagnosed with cancer. What's one thing you wish someone would have told you that you would like to share with a potential listener? Well, you know, I thought about that question and stuff, and I really, I really have not come up with an answer. Hmm. Um, I feel like, um, through the whole process, you know, learning all the different things that, you know, you didn't know all the medical terms and, you know, so now we know all these medical terms and what they mean. I wish I didn't, but I do now. Right. But one, one thing that I wish that, you know, I can't come up with anything. Yeah. I, I just really can't come up with anything. The only thing I guess I could say to, a mother out there uh, with a child just kind of followed their lead. Mm. 
try not to. Uh, one thing I had to keep telling myself was um, don't be so overbearing, you know, because mm-hmm. you wanted this to go away so bad. And so you're pushing and pushing. Try not try not to push so much. I, I'm a pusher when it comes to if you if you feel bad, I'm like, OK, well, we'll you know, I'm pushing to feel better. We'll do this. We'll do that. Uh, just try not to push kind of follow their lead um, a little bit. And, and it's hard because you just want to take over and it's your child and you want to make it all better. You want to, you're, you're a fixer, you're a mother, you want to fix it. Just try to follow their lead a little bit, which is kind of hard, but, but kind of step back and follow their lead. Pay attention to what, what they're really doing and don't get overwhelmed with trying to fix everything. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's good. Nancy. Yeah, that is. That's wonderful. Cause kind of what I was going to say as well. I mean, and it's tough. Michael was 23. There's people, you know, you could have somebody who's diagnosed and they're your child and they're a teenager and then they're, you know, truly college age. And then you have a 37 year old. So it always depends. I think everybody always wants their mom, um, you know, in these situations, but I would say really as a caregiver, also look out for taking care of yourself Mm. It's something I didn't do well. Mm -hmm. And um, I wish I had, I -hmm. wish, you know, I think it would have been good. But like I said, for me, I had to be with Michael if he was anywhere near near me and I would let him do his thing. I mean, it's not like when he came home to Denver or to Sacramento, I was like, I'm going out with your friends tonight, Michael, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be that fly on the wall. No, 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 no. But you know, and it's not sweating the little things, you know, again, it's, you know, people are going to have opinions on the way you're going through this and they've never gone through it. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, Michael went out after one of his surgeries and it was an event. We were all there. And I had someone who at the time was a friend. You also learn who your friends are. And it was like, well, he shouldn't be here. And I go, he wants to walk out that door. He can walk out our front door and go somewhere. So it gets back to what Leanne said, letting them give you the lead and supporting Mm -hmm. them being realistic. If you need to be that mom voice sometimes. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Both of you, Leanne and Nancy, this has been awesome. And um, thank you for having us. Well, We will see everyone next time or listen to you all next time or you'll listen to us. But uh, we hope you all have a wonderful day. And again, thank you both so much for being here. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode.